everyone and welcome back to Sip and Spin. My name is Skylar and over here in a cute red dress and like a florally velvety velory cardigan is Brittany. Hello. And this is a variety podcast where we talk about anything, everything, and nothing. Have you missed us? It feels like it's been forever. Literally. <laughs> I'm like, how do we do this again? <laughs> How long is it? Like three and a half weeks? Something, Something crazy like that. Yeah. yeah. Since we've recorded. Because we took a little break. So We did. But I mean, we'll be back to normal soon. Yeah. This every other week is just a temporary thing. But you know, it's kind of like the weather's nice. And so it's like... It's like and, summer vacation. Yeah. And things <laughs> that have like restrictions have lifted and such. So it's like nice to get back out and do things. So we've been trying to enjoy our personal lives so that's kind of just why we decided to do it every other week so that way we could just vibe yeah but uh we'll be back to normal really really soon i don't know anything to discuss i don't know it's just been forever since we've done this how's your week (laughs) good i just it's weird because we're also recording this on a tuesday which we never do so we had work today and we might be a little more tired than usual. Yeah. Today was a day. Yeah. But we're here now. We haven't recorded after work since our Saturdays. I know. It's weird. <laughs> How do we do it? And even Saturdays, we at least got off earlier. Yeah. And it was, you know, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> we still have to work tomorrow. Great. Yeah, so I guess we should just But you not for long. <laughs> well, what was our topic? So our topic for this week was culture, travel, language. And so like what we did last time, I kind of picked the language I wanted to talk about and Brittany either did culture or travel that kind of goes with that language. And then I also will give another disclaimer, an even heavier disclaimer this time, because once again, this language I'm completely self-taught on and it is the most recent one I've been working on. Because, like, Mandarin, I had at least been working on it for, like, six months at that point. This one has been, like, a month. <laughs> um, so. We're not professionals. Yeah. I think they know that by now. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, so if anything I say is wrong, definitely feel free to correct me. Because, like I said. Politely. Yeah, because, like I said, I'm teaching this to myself. So I don't have a professor to be like, hey, no, this is actually how it goes. So I just, like, hope that I'm learning it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And what are we drinking? So we are drinking white wine and it is Stella Stella Rosa. The bottle is upstairs, so I don't really have anything else to add, but I know it's like a Moscato. I think it was like Dalty Moscato. Dalty. I didn't even read it, honestly. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, the bottle's upstairs, so I'm not sure. But I know it's a Moscato, and the brand is Stella Rosa. It kind of smells like popcorn. Is that weird to say? (laughs) Does it? (laughs) I don't know. Like, or something, like, in that vein, like... And I already cheated because I forgot that we weren't supposed to drink, um, and I already took a sip. It tastes good. Like, there's a buttery snack scent to it. I can kind of, yeah. Okay, I'm not totally crazy. Yeah, it's a little buttery. Okay. But it's supposed to be pear and apple, I think the back of the bottle said when I was reading it. (laughs) And popcorn. (laughs) The Florida Sunmark. It goes, it pairs well with, I think it's a cheese, spice, and something else. Oh, popcorn. Well, I guess. Popcorn is neither cheesy nor spicy. You can make it. 
I ate my popcorn and I had spicy. Oh. <laughs> I and I used to when I was growing up. I ate it cheesy. The only kind of popcorn so. I eat is the Cinemark popcorn with lots of butter on it. <laughs> <laughs> I like butter popcorn too. I like popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not a big popcorn person unless I'm at a movie theater. And even then, like the one downtown, I don't get popcorn at that one. I just drink alcohol. Oh, but I love popcorn from there. At Cinemark, I just get really buttery Cinemark popcorn. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes. I was a poor art school student, so I had many popcorn dinners. Mm. And my roommate actually worked at a movie theater, so she would just bring home the bags of popcorn for free for us. So I love that. Like, popcorn dinner. <laughs> yeah, Brett, he when he worked at Cinemark, he would get like free popcorn and free drinks and like he that he could just take with him. And I'd be like, hey, bring me home some. And he'd be like, okay. And then he never did. <laughs> and I was like, that's not a true bro. Yeah, she got to, like, take us to three movies all the time. It was great. I love that. Well, I guess I'll try it since yeah. we already have. Cheers. Ooh. It's sweet. It is sweet. Drinkable, though. It's not, like, um... It's not black and bruised. <laughs> yeah. The first sip was a little jarring, but the second one, it was... I was more prepared for it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right. Anything else? I don't think so. No. All right. Do you want to tell the people the language you chose, or do you want me to drop it, or...? Yeah, uh, so I chose Latin. <laughs> Which, where does that leave me <laughs> with culture and travel? <laughs> do you have any guesses? Because Richard guessed it. Okay. Earlier. But I mean, I'll, like, I, my first few notes are just kind of how I got to what I chose. Mm -hmm. And so I might step on your toes a little bit. Do your thing. All right. I think we all kind of know that Latin is considered a dead language. Mm -hmm. It's still used in like really specific contexts and people like go out of their way, kind of like Skylar, to learn it for fun. And people like to, you know, acquaint it to like, oh, witchcraft, summon the demons. <laughs> like, but I mean, but it does not have any native speakers today. Yes. So. Yeah, because dead language does not mean no one speaks it anymore. Right. It's it just, just means there's no longer specific. any native speakers. <laughs> You have to like go out of your way mm -hmm. to learn it, essentially. Some might argue that it didn't so much as die as it just morphed. And it morphed into French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and Romanian. These are known as the Romance languages. Am I totally stepping on all of your stuff? No. Okay. Yeah, I didn't do I read over the introduction in the book, and this introduction, or this was in the introduction of oh, the book, okay. but I didn't write it down as part of the language okay because I'm strictly on grammar like setting up grammar gotcha okay well then have a little Latin history fact <laughs> and those five that I listed are um, the most common that kind of incorporate grammar tenses and specific intricacies from Latin more so than other ones and then like back in the day Latin was even then kind of considered a little obscure because it was the language of international communication scholarship and science so like it was used primarily for those three things. Light um, academia aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so all that being said, while Latin is considered a dead language, I did read, and this, there were varying con like things on this, so I'm going to throw you both of them. Mm -hmm. So I did read that it is still the official language of Vatican City, 
Some people claim, though, that Italian is actually the official language of Vatican City and that Latin is the officially used language um, of the Holy See. So some people get those confused because some people get Vatican City confused with the Holy See in general. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a whole thing. I read both claims multiple times, so I'm just including them both as like a blanket. I don't know which one is true because I've never been there. I don't live mm -hmm. there. I'm not religious. Like, I don't know. But maybe you're like, what the hell is that? So here's the difference between Vatican City and the Holy See. Is Vatican City like the, basically like the big, like encompasses as a whole and the Holy See is just the church where the Pope actually resides in maybe? Pretty much. So, and that's why people get confused. I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> well, it's already confusing to a lot yeah. of people because Vatican City is separate from Rome, but it's surrounded yeah. by Rome. And then the Holy See is kind of, it's, it's like a nesting doll situation, yeah. kind of. Well, because I've always thought of like Vatican City as like Washington, D.C. and Virginia, kind of, versus Vatican, like Vatican City and Rome is like Washington, D.C. to Virginia. Yeah, I think that's a sort fair. of. It's not like a complete analogy. It's not exactly right, but that's like how it made sense to me. Yeah. And then like the Holy See, I'm just like the only thing I can think of would be like it's just talking about the like church. Yeah. And here, and I'll run through like the really specific. I'm not gonna try to bore with this. I just... Oh, I think it's interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm yeah, like... I am. I'm gonna talk about Vatican City. Is cool. What I'm doing because. That's where Latin is still kind of alive, and that's what I was left with. <laughs> I read Dan Brown. <laughs> so. I've read Angels and Demons. <laughs> that's, that's my knowledge of the Vatican City, <laughs> is Angels and Demons by Dan Brown. I was waiting for you to be like, I've seen Twilight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I guess, yeah. But that's usually where most people go. No, my, my first thought went to Angels and Demons by Dan Brown. That's respectable. <laughs> I love Dan Brown. Inferno is my favorite. Well, Angels and Demons and Inferno are my favorite. Mm. I like the Da Vinci Code a lot. Lost Symbol was my least favorite. I feel like what my dad and mom always said, that whoever, if you read Angels and Demons or Da Vinci Code, whichever one you read first is going to be your favorite. So, like, my mom read Angels and Demons first, and it's her favorite. My dad read the Da Vinci Code first, and it's his favorite. And I read Angels and Demons first, and it's my favorite. But then Inferno was the newest one. Inferno is tied up there with Angels and Demons. And then Da Vinci Code, and then The Lost Symbol. I Not that you guys needed to know that. I started both of them, and I never finished them. Oh, they're so good, though! <laughs> I know. It was back when I was in college, so I didn't have time. I yeah. Gonna, I need to read more, which I've Minus been working on. I, I read them in high school, I think. Mm. Okay, so Vatican City and the Holy See are often used interchangeably, but this is a mistake because the two are actually quite different. Vatican City is a city-state, which basically just means it is a distinct geographical entity. Like it's its own thing. It's the world's smallest country by population and size, and the Pope is the head of the state. Mm -hmm. The Holy See is not a geographic region or a country. It is a sovereign entity and the jurisdiction of the Pope. So while the Pope is still like the head of both, they are different. Mm -hmm. That's why most people are like, but they're the same. But, I mean, not technically, because the Holy See isn't, like, a country or a region or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The Holy See is the central governing body of the worldwide Catholic Church. And it's headquartered in Vatican City. Mm -hmm. Like I said, nesting dolls type things. And like you said, so it's basically the church part. And it's, um, like, encompasses the, the worldwide Catholic. Mm -hmm. so, so it's, like, the <clears throat> ultimate Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Vatican... Boss level Catholic <laughs> yeah. Church. It's the final boss. <laughs> you must the Pope. 
we just totally see turns into a mech. <laughs> he is at the end of your Mario level. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Sorry, if you're Catholic, we're not making fun of you. <laughs> no. Just having fun. If Twilight can film there, we can say this. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, if they can bring vampires into the, the holy city. Um. So, Vatican City is used when referring to a country, while Holy See is used when referring to the area governed by the Bishop of Rome, which includes the Vatican and the entire Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. That just kind of covers like what the difference is there. But now, we're basically just going to focus the rest on Vatican City as a whole. All righty. Like I said, it's the smallest country in the world. Uh, as of recent, what I could see, the population, it's about a thousand people. Oh. Like, it's it's very tiny, but it is its own country. It covers an area of approximately 0.2 square miles. While as an enclave within Rome, it is a distinct territory with sovereign authority and exclusive dominion. So, like, that's where it kind of differs from, like, thinking about it in Washington, D.C.-wise. Because yeah. it's is its own ruler yeah because they don't have to like any rules that are in all the pope yeah (laughs) like the government in rome and the government in yeah is like does not affect them correct yeah so that being said like vatican city of course has a unique economy because where are they getting their money if that if they're separate from the government please tell me it's bartering and trading (sighs) that would be so much cooler (laughs) but it's basically it's supported financially by donations from the faithful which is their biggest get of Uh course that checks out yeah they sell their own postage so they sell stamps coins and souvenirs so like of course just like tourism and that sense fees for museum admissions and then sales of publications i guess they publish stuff i didn't get any other information on that but that's the main four things that they get their money by so mm-hmm. tourism donations their museums because while i'm not really religious i am an art history freak and they got some ass art there i'm just a museum whore <laughs> i just love a good museum well then I'm, we're gonna have a whole museum talk nice <laughs> And then publications, I guess. I don't know. Like, when I went to Washington, D.C., the only thing I cared about was going to the museums. I didn't want to see the monuments. I didn't... I just wanted the museums. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we have that one museum downtown. It's, like, the world's smallest museum, probably. Mm -hmm. But I still had a grand old time while I was there. I was like, museum, (laughs) stuff, old stuff. (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) I love a good museum. It could be, like, an art museum, a history museum, a... Whatever the fuck museum, I wouldn't care. I just, museums. <laughs> I yeah. just want things with placards that tell me what they are. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Learn me. So yeah, um, of course, Vatican City, probably your first thought is like, oh, religion, the Pope, Catholics, like that's where you're going to go. And it is really religious and it's important to a lot of people for that reason. And I will, of course, have to touch on that for a lot mm-hmm. of the other stuff. But kind of like I said, I am going to focus a little bit more on the art just because this is like a travel kind of segment and like what you can see and do there but also of course culture comes back into that and their culture is very religious mm-hmm. so i'm going to kind of encompass it all as best i can first some quick vatican city facts and i got these from the history channel so i kind of trust them <laughs> if you can't trust them who can you trust aliens <laughs> yes that's where that meme comes from, right? Is the History Channel that guy? The alien guy. Alien. <laughs> okay, so my dad watches the History Channel sometimes. I like their like their articles online and stuff. Mm-hmm. I used to look at their magazines a lot. So the Vatican mints its own euros. It prints its own stamps. Like I said, it issues passports, license plates, 
It operates media outlets and has its own flag and anthem. So like I said, it's just its own little country. Should we get Vatican City stamps? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I didn't look up how much they are. They probably can't be that much. Like when we ship out our merch, we can put Vatican <laughs> City stamps on them. Return to the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wine glasses and penis things. That probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> I feel like he would take it with a stride. He seems like a fun guy. He's <laughs> a fun guy. <laughs> he like seems like the only Pope that's been like a decently okay person as far as I know. Yeah, I didn't hear anything too scandalous or anything. I don't even really talk about the current Pope, I don't think. Maybe I should have. He's just like this little old guy that's running around in these giant robes that have crosses <laughs> on them. I'm like, you do you. That's a Pope. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Pope, yes. <laughs> For nearly 60 years in the 1800s and the 1900s, Popes refused to leave the Vatican. Mm. Fun fact. Uh, this was during a, like, quote, or Air Bunny's cold war of sorts between the church and the Italian government. So the popes basically were like, we're not leaving. And they, like, had to stand off and they refused to leave the Vatican. But then they were like, I'm being pr- kept prisoner. And but it was, like, their own doing. Like, it was this whole thing I was reading <laughs> about. It I was like, oh, you silly popes. <laughs> you silly popes. You silly clergy. <laughs> but I think that's also what led to them, like, becoming eventually their own separate mm-hmm. thing. So do what you got to do, I guess. Screw you guys. I'm going to rule my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they really said, we'll watch this. <laughs> What's that TikTok trend that it's just, like, the music that ends with, watch me? It's the Machine Gun Kelly song. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know Machine Gun Kelly if I heard his voice. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not you, I don't know. It's the one that's like, it'll be like, watch me, like, take a good thing and fuck it up. But then some people just end it at the, watch me. And the... Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe I have. Popes did not live at the Vatican until the 14th century. The Swiss Guard. It's 1300s, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because this is the 21st century. And yes. it's the 2000s. And yes. then the 1900s is the 20th century. So mm-hmm. it's always a year. It's always one number up. So 14th century would be 1300s, I think. That sounds strange. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so popes did not live actually at the Vatican until the 14th century. The Swiss Guard was hired as a mercenary force okay. for popes. Fun fact. Sure. Uh, the Swiss. Uh, so they served as protectors of the pope since 1506. So Pope Julius II hired one of the mercenary forces for his personal protection, um, and it just kind of stuck. The Swiss Guard was like, yeah, we'll hang out with you guys. <laughs> we'll stick around. Um, and while they appear to like be strictly ceremonial, its soldiers are extensively trained and are highly skilled marksmen. So like, oh. they just look kind of like, you know, the British, like those kind of soldiers that just stand there in mm-hmm. Vatican City. But apparently they can fuck you up if they need to. And they've been... They've been doing it since 1506, and I mean... It's a good track record. They can put that up, yeah. Yeah, and the force is, and always has been, um, entirely made up of Swiss citizens only. Like, I don't know why the the popes trust them over everyone else. I guess because they're neutral? Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> I guess. But they're just like, eh, yeah, we don't care. We're in the middle. Just hire me, well, it's fine. <laughs> um, a side note about the Swiss mercenaries. Their uniforms, amazing. Very colorful. Do Renaissance- you have a picture? I do. Okay. <laughs> Renaissance era styled. I love it. And I also read that Michelangelo is actually who designed their current uniforms. Oh, of course he did. He's a legend. Look at that. <laughs> I want one. Isn't that amazing? 
Well, I know what we're going for is Halloween. <laughs> but, like, you see that and be like, yeah, they can't hurt me. But, no. Apparently. They're very skilled. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how I was doing my notes. I just kept staring at their uniforms. I was like, I need that in I my life. I need 12 of those. So, we'll post a picture of their uniforms. Don't worry. But I was just yeah. like, it'll be on the Twitter or on the Instagram. I love it. On the gram. They did it for the gram. Social needs. That, that's why they have those uniforms. They did it for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> Michelangelo knew. <laughs> he's, he's ahead of his time. In several instances during the Vatican's history, popes um, actually had to escape through a secret passageway. Checks out. I feel like every royal family has a secret passageway. Oh, yeah. They've had to s- sneak out through it. Some Sometimes point. I don't feel like it always works out to save their lives, though. But this one, apparently, it's worked to actually save quite a few popes. Nice. Because I guess in a 1277, a half-mile-long elevated covered passageway, the Passetto de Borgo, was constructed to link the Vatican to the Tiber River. Ah. And they just, like, slip on out. Yeah, I mean, a river's a good place to escape <laughs> to. Yeah, I think there was, like, a castle or something maybe there, or, like, a mm-hmm. stronghold or something. In 2011, the number of people that actually were considered citizens of Vatican City totaled to only 594. Can you say that one more time? In 2011, the total number of citizens living in Vatican City was 594. Oh. 71 of those were cardinals. 109 were the Swiss Guard members. <laughs> 51 were clergy members. There was one nun. And the remaining 300... Oh, poor woman. <laughs> and the remaining 307 citizens lived abroad in diplomatic positions. So over half of the population didn't even live in Vatican City. I thought that was funny. Okay. And then also in uh, 1981, the Vatican Observatory opened a research center in Tucson, Arizona. Nice. They have property in Arizona. And I was like, that's so random. Yeah, I feel like Arizona's not like strongly catholic well i think from what i read i feel like that's more new england well what i read the reasoning it was because i guess where vatican city and just rome in general got so populated with tourism and stuff it was hard to see the night sky so they needed a place kind of out in the middle of nowhere where they could still like do their sky research oh gotcha so but they only they have two of them and one of them is in arizona and i was just like that's so random i love that Okay, so. If you're from Arizona, let us know. I like stars. Is it cool? <laughs> Can you <Stars>. go? <laughs> Can you go visit the Vatican's telescope? <laughs> yeah, is it like a tourist thing, or is it like just for the Vatican just, peeps? Probably just for research. Oh, I right. do like stars. <laughs> I like observatories. Observatories, aquariums, except for SeaWorld, fuck SeaWorld, um, mm-hmm. and museums. That's like my heart. Word. <laughs> word <laughs> okay so that's just kind of over all facts now i'm going to talk to a little bit more of like specific um travel destinations that are popular for tourism so first we're going to talk about saint peter's square this is one of the largest squares in the world it's located at the feet of the saint peter's basilica it's that one place if you've ever seen a picture of vatican city it's probably what you've seen where mm-hmm. it's like the columns and then the fountain and the yeah obelisk. yep so that's saint peter's square it is 320 meters long and 240 meters wide. So it's the biggest square in the world? One of. Okay, I was yeah. like, because I thought Tiananmen Square was no, 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 like yeah. the biggest. No, it's just, just one of. Okay, gotcha. The construction of the square was carried out between 1656 and 1667 at the hand of Bernini, 
with the support of Pope Alexander XII. There are 284 columns and 88 pilasters that flank the square in a colonnade of four rolls. So like I said, it's probably what you've seen. <laughs> it's said to look like open arms kind of welcoming you in ah. to the, the church. Above the columns, there are 140 statues of the saints created by in 1670 by the disciples of Bernini. The center of the square has two fountains and obelisk. Can we change your name to Bernini? Bernini? Bernini. Whatever his name. Bernini? Bernini. <laughs> change my name? Because yes. <laughs> every time you say it, all I can hear is your name, like Brittany Bernini, and I'm like... <laughs> Brittany Bernini. It's fun to say. <laughs> I'm going to save you on my phone as Bernini. <laughs> It'll still be Skylar work. <laughs> so yeah, in the center of the square, it's two fountains and an obelisk. And here's like a little side tangent on the history of the obelisk, because it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. The obelisk was made of a single piece. Here's what I found. A Siri. No one was talking to you, hon. I was, that scared me. I, <laughs> I like jumped a little bit. I was like, I don't know what, why she was triggered. The yeah. obelisk? Like, that's not a... Keyword for you, hon. <laughs> anyway, so sometimes I'll have my phone on my tagging cart and I'll be listening to a podcast and like nothing will be happening, but then Siri will be like, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. And I'm like, I know it happens to me too. It's like they really are always listening. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you weren't supposed to get anything, so I guess I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> so, anyways, the obelisk was made of a single piece of red granite and it weighed more than 350 tons. It was erected for an Egyptian pharaoh more than 3,000 years ago, and it originally stood in um, Heliopolis. The Roman emperor, I think it's, it's Caligula. Obelisk, the snake, the like thing from the second Harry Potter? Basilisk. Basilisk, okay. <laughs> an obelisk is like a tall okay. thing. <laughs> all I appreciate is like a statue of a snake. That's like all that I'm getting. No, it's really just like a pillar, basically. Okay. okay. <laughs> This is the Roman Emperor, and I think it's uh, Caligula. Yeah, Caligula. Built a small circus in his mother's gardens at the base of Vatican Hill, where... Um, he was a fucked up guy. Yeah. Where... Did you get into that? No, not too much. <laughs> okay. Just like this. Like, weirdly, they have a very, like, strong tie to Egyptian stuff, but it's mostly just him being a dick, and, like, you'll see, so... At the base of Vatican Hill, where charioteers trained and where Nero is thought to have martyred the Christians to crown the center of the amphitheater. Nero was a fucked up guy, too. Yes. <laughs> uh, Nero and Caligula were like two of the worst people. <laughs> but yeah, Caligula, basically, he was setting up the circus and he had, he sent forces to like steal the obelisk from Egypt, basically. And he was like, this is ours now. That checks out, yeah. And then in 1586, it was moved to its present location in St. Peter's Square, where it is also now works as a sundial, which is, like, cool. Still stolen. Yeah, like, he <laughs> still st took it <laughs> without permission. <laughs> so that's just a little history on that, because I'm like, all right. One of the Ten Commandments is literally, do not steal. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's put it in the center of our country. <laughs> it's like, do not steal. Do not covet your neighbor's possession. Like... Win it all. <laughs> it's, it's literally in the, the, the main ten, like the big ten. It's right there. Moses put it on a, like, rock. <laughs> yep. It was Moses, right? I think it was Moses. I think so. Moses sounds right. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with Moses. <laughs> Moses put it on a rock. <laughs> Moses put it on a rock. 
literally like number three, like do not steal. It's one of them. I don't know the numbers. I don't know either. <laughs> I just made it up. I think it's like do not use the Lord's name in vain. Is like do not covet or do not worship any other idols. Don't lie. Do not lie. Do not steal. Maybe number four. It's one of the top ones, I'm pretty sure. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet your neighbor's possessions. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in Bible school. <laughs> it's really not important. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it doesn't matter what number it is. It's up there, though. It's on the rock. Well, just history of being a hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> what else is new? And then, so that's St. Peter's Square. And now we'll do um, St. Peter's Basilica. So this is free to enter. But just be prepared to wait in you line. You did say Basilica this time, right? Yeah, but I said it the first time, too. Basilica? Basilica. See, that sounds like Basilisk. Maybe that's where I got them mixed up. Oh, and... <laughs> I mean, I said, I said Basilica and I said Obelisk. Yeah. I, probably <laughs> I never com- said Basilisk. I, I probably just combined <laughs> them in my head. No, St. Peter's Basilica is, is a place. <laughs> so yeah, this place is free to enter. Just be prepared to wait in a really long line because it's really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is considered one of the Catholic Church's holiest temples and an important pilgrimage site. Ah. So, a lot of people go there for that. It is one of the largest churches in the world. Some people like to argue that it's the largest. I didn't measure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... Fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's believed slash rumored that it sits over um, the actual grave for St. Peter. So, do a little history check on that. So what they say is, in pagan times, a Roman necropolis stood on Vatican Hill. When a great fire leveled much of Rome in AD 64, Emperor Nero accused the Christians of starting the blaze to shift the blame from himself. So he executed them by burning them at the stake, tore them apart with wild beasts, and crucified them. Among the crucified was St. Peter, disciple of Jesus, leader of the apostles, and the first bishop of Rome. I wrote yada yada. He was supposedly buried in a shallow grave on Vatican Hill. By the 4th century, Emperor Constantine began construction of the original basilica atop the ancient burial grounds. This original one got torn down, though, and the construction of the new one began in 1506. It was finished in 1626, and now it sits over a maze of catacombs and the suspected grave of its namesake, St. Peter. Mm. So there's that little rundown. Some people just think it's like a theory. Some people were like, yes, it's fact. So take it as you will with all of history. Who's to say? Not me. I'm not a historian. The Basilica can hold 20,000 people at once. So I'd say that's a big ass church. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't even think I've ever seen 20,000 people in like this same place at one time. <laughs> concert, maybe? <laughs> I feel a like music the, festival. The, the concerts I go to aren't even that. <laughs> So while, yeah, it's very, it's a, obviously it's a church, it's very religious, it also houses a lot of extremely impressive pieces of art. So, most specifically, people probably would think of is La Pieta, which is a sculpture by Michelangelo. Art fact, he was only 24 when he sculpted this, and this is the lady, you know, mm-hmm. holding the man dying. So that is, like, I think when you walk in, it's like one of the first things you see to the right. There's a the statue of St. Peter on his throne is in here as well. And basically just every great artist that passed through Rome between 1492 and today had a part in building one little piece or one part of the basilica. Mm-hmm. And there's just little touches of them everywhere. And like you could spend days just trying to name every artist, which is really cool. Most credited though are Bernini and Michelangelo. Specifically, Michelangelo gets the credit for the dome of the um, basilica. Love this. I love Michelangelo. I love the whole thing about the dome and everything that painted little dicks on everybody. 
Not there yet. Not there yet? That's the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, like, on the... But this is, like, the Pacific, it has just, like, giant dome that yeah. was um, modeled after, I think, the Parthenon. Yeah. And so he was, he designed that, and it's, like, one of the biggest domes. And um, you can actually climb to the top of it. And that's where people get that really big shot that you always see in photos of the square because the dome looks right on the square. Oh, so you're not talking about his artwork on the dome. No, no. You're talking about the, the architecture. Dome okay, yeah. Yeah, that that's was... where I got confused. I was like, I'm pretty sure the dome had all the little bits on it. <laughs> that is the Sistine Chapel yes. ceiling. Yes, we'll get there. We'll but get it's there. still a dome-shaped ceiling, so that's where I was. But yes, the actual architectural dome. Yes. Yes. Um, so you can climb to the top of the dome. It is, however, said to actually be pretty taxing. So just be prepared, I guess, if you plan on going. Wear good shoes. Yeah, it's 551 <laughs> steps. And the last part is a narrow and steep spiral staircase. And while, like, walking, like, you can get into the Basilica for free, like I said, it does cost, I think, about, it averaged out to U.S. dollars, about $8 to climb the dome. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's still, like, everywhere I read it was, like, it's pretty worth it. Like, the view's amazing, it's kind of tiring, but you'll, like, you'll regret it if you don't do it. Yeah. Kind of thing. I'm just, like, low-key scared of heights, and, like, also I'd probably fall down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I get to that spiral staircase and just wipe out. I think I read, I didn't write this part down, I just wrote like how many steps it was. I think I also saw if you can pay maybe maybe double the amount of money and they'll lift you halfway, but you still have to walk the last 300 stairs or something. So Mm -hmm. like you still have to walk the hardest part, but they'll like lift you the first few hundred or something. So I was like, I don't know if that'd even be worth it, but I get it for the older people, I guess. So that is the Basilica. And I'm going to touch only briefly a little bit on the Vatican museums themselves because there's a lot. Yeah. So the public museums of the Vatican City that display works from the immense collection amassed by the Catholic Church throughout the centuries. So this is just centuries of them claiming art. Um, Based on how the website works and what I could translate, because it was not in English, most of it, it seems that there's about 26 different museums in this little bitty country. Oh, wow. So, and this is like a generalized term museum. So each seem to be themed and have like a few rooms each. So it's not like giant museums. It's like mm-hmm. when you're walking, like a lot of people go there, they go there to go to the Basilica or to Sistine Chapel. And these places are like spread out throughout on your way there. So people like stop in them and they're like museums. Gotcha. But sometimes they're only like one to eight rooms like you never know how big they're gonna be mm-hmm. i'm just gonna go through a few of the more notable ones that like people said and what i could kind of see the first one um they have an egyptian gallery which makes sense giving like all of the history there like that's why it's a little interesting and it has like ancient tablets and texts and stuff like that from what i could see it's five rooms total with a lot of interesting art sculptures text etc and just kind of explains probably a very biased uh history lesson but that makes sense take that <laughs> as you will with anything what a shocker <laughs> you know like i that just goes with the territory of history like yeah. everyone's biased so yes. i think it's interesting the that, like, winners get Egyptian to write art. history that that common phrase the winners yeah. get to write history Exactly. The next one I have is the Pinacoteca, which it has a lot of great art by some of the greatest artists, so this one's um, really interesting to me. It has four works there by Raphael Sanzio, which I'm not going to bore everyone with all of these because you're probably like, I don't know artists. But if you went to art school like me and you recognize these names, 
It's interesting. But it also does have an unfinished Da Vinci painting, which is really cool. It has the um, Guido Rene, the Saint Matthew with the angel. Mm. So a lot of people probably know that one. Um, if you'd like to look it up, you'd be like, oh, I know that. It has Peter Wenzel's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, which is the one with all the animals, and it's really pretty and huge. Mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of other really great, impressive Italian artists. I would probably, my brain would explode. But also this one is interesting because this museum apparently stays pretty empty because it is not in a direct line to the Sistine Chapel. So people don't even oh. go into this one. So you can really take your time and like look at all the art up close in this one, which is really cool. So fun fact, if you're like, I want to see art, but don't want to be crowded, go see that one because people I like that. kind of ignore it. The Pio Clementino Museum, I think that's right. This was one of Michelangelo's favorites because it's, um, it's just a sculpture museum. So <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> you know, he kind of liked his sculptures. <laughs> Weird, I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of the ones displayed in this one specifically are said to be like his big inspirations for most of the yeah. art that he ended up doing. In one of the rooms, there is a giant basin that is 42 feet wide and is apparently made out of a really rare marble. Jeez. So it's just gigantic and it takes up this whole like, yeah, room, I'm like that's like. <laughs> And, and just rare marble just sitting there. And I'm like, what would you even use that for? Sacrifices? <laughs> Dodger needs his bath. <laughs> yeah, he slept there a time or two. Probably, uh, if he was ever in <laughs> Vatican City. Oh, right. Can you imagine him in Vatican City with the chickens? <laughs> the Pope would be so scandalized. <laughs> oh, like, get this guy out of there. <laughs> this particular museum also houses a bronze statue of Hercules. And then another one that's really Love famous. A Hercules statue. Yes. Love a Hercules anything. Is the, um, the Raphael rooms, of course. This one kind of speaks for itself as to why it's cool. It's a collection of four rooms designed by Raphael. All are very impressive, but room three has the very notable work, his School of Athens, which is the really big um, fresco that shows all the great minds in history in Athens talking about philosophy. It's the one he like even painted Michelangelo too, even though they're like big rivals mm -hmm. and it's just, just all these people in Athens. And that's where you can see that work. And then Diogenes I, is in the background. Like, he might be. Inside a vase. It's just his head poking out. It's just one small chicken in the corner. I mean, held by a hand. <laughs> like, you just see the hand of the chicken. Like, I know that guy. And then, the lastly, for the museums like of the 26, the most impressive, of course, is the Sistine Chapel. Yes. So that is what most people go there to see. The dicks. So it kind of speaks for itself. The most notable work is, of course, the ceiling. The nine central panels show the stories of Genesis from the creation to the fall of man. It took Michelangelo four years to paint, and it was painted completely free-handed, no prior sketching or planning, mainly because Michelangelo wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, he, they just, like, fucking forced him to and, like, get paint in his eyes all the time because he's painting on the ceiling. That poor guy. <laughs> Because uh, he was a sculptor, he wasn't a painter, he had absolutely no experience with frescoes, he was like, no, I don't want to do it. But eventually he reluctantly accepted because he needed money and he wanted the commission. That's what it came down to. A general misconception that people have is that he painted this on his back. That's not true at all. That would be horrible. <laughs> he actually himself designed a unique system of platforms and it was attached to the walls 
with brackets that allowed him and his assistants to stand upright and just kind of reach above their heads and paint it this way. See, I just imagine like a really tall ladder with him going like this while standing on the ladder. Now he actually like created shit. Because, like, I didn't figure he laid on his back the entire time. Like, I just thought he was, like, on a ladder or something and just, like, was had to lean up to look at it. There stuff. was a really famous movie made, and the actor in it depicted him as laying on his back, and people just took that for a fact. Oh, um, So it's, really? like, a fake misconception. Gotcha. Well, I guess mine was a misconception, too, because I was just picturing a really big fucking ladder. <laughs> and Michelangelo just out a really big fucking ladder. A little safer. <laughs> <laughs> I would be the one to try and do it on a ladder and then fall off. So Yes. Uh, working on the Sistine Chapel was so unpleasant that Michelangelo wrote a poem about his misery. I love him. Which is amazing. And you should definitely read the whole thing, but I will just end. I'll tell you with how it ended. It ended with, uh, I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. So he basically ended like, I shouldn't have quit my day job. Like, <laughs> this is miserable. <laughs> I'm just like... Michelangelo. <laughs> I love him so much. And uh, even though that was so miserable for him, in his later years, he was, of course, back there, and he um, he also frescoed the Last Judgment on the altar wall of the Sistine Chapel. This also took about four to five years to paint, and it features over 300 figures from the Bible. The frescoed ceiling has actually held up really well, considering it's been five centuries since it was completed. Yeah. Only one small piece is missing, and it's part of the sky in the panel um, that shows Noah's escape from the great biblical flood. Mm. So, like, one little piece missing is pretty impressive. Uh, what happened was that section fell to the floor and shattered following an explosion at a nearby gunpowder depot in 1797. Oh! So, just, I mean, that's pretty impressive in and of itself. Like, just that one little panel fell off. Yeah. That long ago, and it's still, like, going strong. Mm-hmm. But, of course, experts... I couldn't imagine being in charge of the upkeep of that ceiling. I would be a nervous wreck. But they do worry about the hardiness, of course. I can't even imagine, like I said. Especially with all the foot traffic and just people going in there. And with any of that art, but especially the ceiling, I would... They probably have to worry about preserving it and also that it doesn't, like, fall and kill anyone. Yeah. You know? Like, it's a whole thing. So, just if you do go, just... Respect old buildings, old places. Try not to stomp or shoot a gun. I don't know. Shit, just don't destroy art. Since 1492, new popes are elected in the Sistine Chapel. So there is a special chimney in the roof of the chapel that broadcasts the conclave's results. If it's white smoke, that means that they've elect they've chosen a pope. If it's black smoke, it means that no candidate has yet received a two-thirds majority. Mm. And if you've ever seen Euro Trip. There is a funny part in that movie where they sneak into the Sistine Chapel and they accidentally catch a drape on fire and it does smoke through the chimney and so everyone thinks a new pope has been elected and then his friend gets like out on the wrong part where the pope does his greetings and they're like, this is the new pope. Real trip. Probably not looked on lightly with the Catholic people, but it's a really funny movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> Never seen it. That was a movie when our old TV, they had that line of pixels missing. And so me and Richard drank a whole jug of moonshine because we took a drink every time it lined up with the character's eye. Ah. Happened a lot in that movie. <laughs> we got trashed on moonshine. <laughs> it was a good night. It was a good movie. <laughs> but 
dad just always makes me think of that part of my movie. It's like, oh, I know about the chimney and the smoke. I love that. And one other thing I want to kind of touch on, and I think this is my last part. Okay. Is the Vatican Gardens. I'll add that to my list. Observatories, <laughs> aquariums, museums, gardens. Botanical gardens. I'm, I've been to like three botanical gardens. It's my happy place. The gardens are cool. And these particular gardens cover more than half of Vatican City. Like, half of it. <laughs> more than half of it. So. Hey, I know I'm not, like, Catholic or anything, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> can I come see your gardens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. That's where they get their money. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the gardens, you can find several medieval fortifications, buildings, and monuments of the Renaissance and the Baroque periods. The gardens are a complex landscape of forests, Medieval monuments, like I said, sculptures, and just floral extensions. You can only travel the lush gardens in the company of an official accredited guide, though. So you can't just, like, wander with the gardens. You yeah. can only go with a guide because they're so just well-protected and fortified. Yeah, that's understandable. <clears throat> and the botanical gardens I've been to, you can just, like, free roam, but a garden that big, I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, and especially, I, I like, don't blame it has medieval, like, buildings and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. There are three different garden styles represented throughout. So there is Italian, English, and French, and they each have their respective characteristics displayed in their little sections. Oh, cool. So for Italian, it's very... It's like Epcot. Kind of. Flowers. Yeah. <laughs> the Italian section, it's very formal and geometric, and it features a lot of, like, Renaissance influences. Mm -hmm. Then the French is, like, it has the Baroque theme, it has statues, and it has... The website said the the website for the garden said water games. I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued. And it's French, it's just so I'm a like water balloon fight. <laughs> I'm like the French are kind of kinky. Like, what is water games <laughs> in a garden? I need to know. You I'm just assuming... get waterboarded. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> assuming maybe it meant like water features, and maybe there was like a weird translation. Maybe. <laughs> but I saw water games, and I was like, tell me more. <laughs> And then the English is, again, very geometric, but it also has a lot of natural stuff. So it has, like, caves and streams and the temples and the ruins are included in the English part. Uh, a ticket seems to be about 50 U.S. dollars, if the, like, translation was correct, which seems like a lot for a two-hour garden tour. But the images I saw were very beautiful, and it's literally the only way you can ever see it. And, I mean, if you go to anything historical, it's about 40 to $50 anyway. Yeah. So that's pretty average. And that's what I have for Vatican City culture and travel. Yay, that was fun. So, like, that was I very, learned some stuff. Yeah. So maybe, hopefully you That was very informative. Stuff. Like, I've never been like, oh, I want to go to Vatican City. But now I'm like, I I'd go to Vatican City. I, I mean, <laughs> Like, low-key. Like, is it weird that I kind of want to go? <laughs> like, low-key kind of want to go to Vatican City. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we can all wa walk away like that. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. I liked that. Cool. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm amazing. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was just interesting. It's like good to know. I mean, I'm glad. You Thank liked you for it. sharing. <laughs> I know. I was really sweating. I was like, "What the fuck am I gonna do?" And then I just kind of tumbled down that rabbit hole. I was like, "All right, let's go to Vatican City." Let's go to Vatican City. And we went there. We went there and back again. <laughs> A Catholic tale. <laughs> finish it with a hobbit's tail but then you're just like <laughs> that was perfect <laughs> we know everything there is to know about being catholic now <laughs> yes 
I can be indoctrinated. Is that how that works? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get indoctrinated? I think it's called confirmation, maybe. I think confirmation is like the Baptist equivalent to being saved. Um, mm. I think. I have no idea. Because I know they get baptized as like babies. They get like sprinkled. They get like a sprinkle baptism. Yeah. And then when they get older and like can make that decision for themselves, they get confirmed. And then like Baptist, whenever you make the choice to get saved, you get saved and then you get baptized. That I makes think. Sense. Did you see the thing about going back to the Pope and being saved as a baby? The thing where they were doing it with water guns because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It almost seems a little bit blasphemous, which is why I think it's so great. <laughs> but yeah, I saw pictures where the Pope was just like, shit. At least they're respecting the COVID regulations and yeah. trying not to get others sick. So good on them, I guess. We respect that. Claps. <laughs> I completely forgot about that until That's you so funny. brought it up to me. All right, we are back. Okay. <laughs> get on to me all the time for being cringy. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's learn some Latin. Like I said, <laughs> I'm not fluent, completely self-taught, only been working on it for a month. So what I kind of did was just, I am basically going to read you my notes because in Mandarin, I had already had like six months of practice. And so I put together a note section to kind of like get you started. But with this, I'm just going to read you what I've done so far and what I've learned so far. And also because since I am learning it and actively learning it, um, it may be helpful for me to retain it by kind of teaching it back. Because one of the things that people say when you're learning something, the best way to learn something is to learn how to teach it and then you retain it well. So thought I'd try that. I am going through chapter one of the book right now. I have not finished chapter one. I basically just did like the most basic grammar because I went all the way up to like finished every part of speech, noun, verb, adjectives, adverbs, conjunctions, how to ask a question, and then finished that. And the next part of chapter one is just like Roman numerals, which people know pretty well. And then it's also more adjectives, another more verbs, more nouns, and things like that. So it's just more of kind of what I talked about. So which maybe if we do Latin again, I can tell you more about it. But this is just like the most basic. So at least you have something for every part of speech and then some like basic stuff, <laughs> basic introduction. So yeah, hopefully it goes well. And if I'm wrong about anything, please correct me. <laughs> I'm all nervous again, kind of like we did with Mandarin. <laughs> I was like, but that one didn't go over bad. So I'm like, I don't know why I'm nervous, but I'm all nervous about it. <laughs> you got this. I guess to start off, we can talk about like word. I don't even actually know how to say this word and it's in English. I know how to say derivative. It's word derivatives, but it's like derivation. But it's basically derivatives, but for words. Like, if yeah. you think about it in math, okay. like math derivatives, is this is word derivatives. But I think it's a derivi de derivation. Der oh, I've never heard. I don't know. Okay. I, mean, I know derivatives, yeah. Yeah. 
It's kind of like how many words come directly from Latin with literal, with little or no change, or being familiar because of other Romance languages, and then like the derivatives are like the translation has something to do with the Latin word. Okay. Like I said, many words come directly from Latin with little or no change, like animal, animal, labor, labor, captive, captivus. Fortune, Fortuna, Multitude, Multitudo, Nation, Natio. That's from English to Latin. So little or no change. And then you've got your other words that are familiar because of Romance languages. So Filia or La Fille is daughter. And that's Latin, Filia, French, La Fille, and then English, daughter. And then Vos, Vu, You. Bonus, Bon, Good. Terra, la terre, earth. Yeah. And then you've got your derivatives, which this will probably be, now that we're getting to the actual example, it'll probably make more sense. So this list will, I'll say the Latin word first, the English translation, and the English derivative. Okay. So agricola means farmer, and then the English derivative is agriculture. Okay. Uh, Stella, star, constellation. Terra, earth, terrace. Philia, daughter, filial. Okay. Um, and Latin has the same parts, same parts, same parts of speech as English, except Latin doesn't have any articles. So the a and Latin does not have those. Hmm. Straight uh, to the point. Yeah. <laughs> so many languages don't have articles. They're just like fuck those articles. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need them. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Then you have inflections. In Latin, the spelling of words indicate their meaning, whereas in English, the order of words indicate their meaning. Okay. So these changes in spelling are known as inflections. Now, inflections have two parts. One of them is probably new to most listeners and to you probably, except you've heard me complain about them a lot, so maybe not. (laughs) And the second one, much more common. So the first inflection is declension. And that is a change in spelling in nouns, adjectives, and pronouns. Okay. And then the second inflection is conjugations, which are inflections in verbs, where you change where the spelling indicates the meaning. So, like, in Spanish, you know, comer is to eat, como is I eat. But in Latin, it also, it literally changes every part of speech based off <laughs> like everything and I'm like okay <laughs> great wish I had known that going in because I hated conjugating I got so lucky learning like Chinese Japanese and Korean because they don't conjugate anything mm-hmm. a verb is a verb end of end <laughs> of story you don't gotta memorize conjugation patterns in Latin you gotta do it like twice <laughs> you have two conjugations <laughs> So, like, for example, the man bites the dog. Mm -hmm. There are six ways you can say that, and it still means the same thing. Homo canum mordit, canum homo mordit, mordit canum homo, mordit homo canum, canum mordit homo, homo mordit canum. Okay. Literally, you could put the word wherever you want, and as long as it's spelled, as long as the parts of speech matches the ending, Mm -hmm. it means the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then, like, the dog bites the man. 
Homonym canis mordit, canis homonym mordit, mordit canis homonym, mordit homonym canis, canis mordit homonym, homonym mordit canis. All means the dog bites the man. (laughs) All right. And even though it doesn't matter what order you put it in because the spelling is like what changes the sentence, there is still sentence structure, which I haven't gotten to yet, but there is still like a sentence structure to follow. But it is just to know that. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Even though it's not in the same spot in the sentence, it's still the same because of how the noun has been declensed and how the verb has been conjugated. Okay. And how the direct object has been declensed as well because declension verb is conjugated based off who is doing the verb. Okay. Nouns are declensed based off what part of speech they are, which we'll get to in a little bit. Okay. So now we get to like my happy part, <laughs> the alphabet and pronunciation. I like those. <laughs> those <Okay>. are easy. <laughs> we like those here. So in Latin and English, the alphabet is mostly the same with a few exceptions. There is no J or W in Latin. I is used for both I and J, and V is used for both V and W. Okay. The letter K is used, but barely. You don't see a lot of Ks in Latin words. And then Y and Z were actually introduced to their alphabet later, appearing in the words that were almost exclusively taken from Greek words. Okay. Yes, and then... Pronunciation. Now, pronunciation is a little bit different. I have like kind of a little bit of a chart, but not like I did with Mandarin. Because for Latin, it's best learned just by listening. To try and write out all the rules of how it's pronounced is just like crazy. So it's just best to learn it through like listening. Then there are some written rules um, for the way to say it, but pronunciation is just it's best to just listen to it and get used to it. And so consonants, most are pronounced how they are in English, except with um, some exceptions. C and CH are pronounced as K, like in coop. T is always just T, like in tie. Um, G is always a hard G. V is like the W. There is an I consonant, which is like the Y in U. So it's like said like that. Okay. Because um, they have an I consonant. Okay. X is like X. S is always an S sound. It's not ever a Z sound. Um, okay. G U and Q U are like the qua in Queen. Okay. And then you've got your diphthongs, which are two vowels pronounced as one. So A E is said like I and Isle. O E is like Oi. A-U is ow, U-I is we, and E-I is a. Okay. The big thing to remember for Latin pronunciation is that every vowel and consonant is pronounced. There are no ghost letters. Okay. Or like in French where like half of the letters in the word aren't said. Yeah. Yeah. I love French. I love learning French. I don't think I'm knocking the French. I love love French, but... Oh, yeah. I love learning French. Sometimes it's a, a little ridiculous. I'm like, six of the nine of these letters are not said. I don't know why they're there. I don't know if you want me to go over this list. I wrote this in just for myself, but I can go over it. It's the list of conjunctions. Uh, there are 36 conjunctions that I have written down, and that's not all of them. 
I mean, I guess that's more up to you if you think it would be too confusing. It might be because I haven't learned them yet because okay. it's like et and k are both and. Mm-hmm. And then like there's things that mean like also two and then there's two words for or like ought and they both mean or and it's based off like whether it's a subordinating conjunction a coordinating conjunction or a correlative conjunction and i don't know which one is which (laughs) so but i do have a full list of conjunctions (laughs) well i guess not a full list because there are some that aren't included like the the conjunction because is not in that list but it's in the book but i was like why was that not on the list (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's just, if you just touch on it a little, yeah. kind of like you did, or like, it might be too much verbally. Yeah, it may be too much verbally, just because, like I said, there's 36 that I have written down just right now, and there are some that are the same. Do you have a favorite? Um, I like Itake, and I like Autumn, and Kwan That one's fun. <laughs> Itagur is fun. They're just kind of cool words. Mm-hmm. Itake, Utake, Ergo. People actually probably would know that one. I was going to say, Ergo. Use that. Yeah, yeah, to mean like therefore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what it means. So, okay. yeah, that's a good one to, to know. So ergo yeah, is ergo is Latin for therefore. And that's one of the conjunctions. But yeah, because there are three types of conjunctions, subordinating, coordinating, and um, correlative. And I'm not sure which context, like whether et is the subordinating, coordinating, or correlative and and I don't know whether K is the subordinating, coordinating, or correlative or correlative and because there are three different types of conjunctions and I just don't know which one goes to which. It's like if I did, I could probably use it in a sentence, but I don't know for them which one for in Latin which one they're gonna use as which one of these. I yet. gotcha. Yeah, but no, that's fine. I bet a lot of people didn't realize that like ergo. Yeah. Was Latin. I didn't even think of it until I read it and I was like wait a minute I was like I said it out loud because like I read it and then I was like okay yeah and then like when I said it out loud I was like wait a minute hold up <laughs> I know that <laughs> now let's get on to the fun part declensions and conjugations so we're gonna start off with declensions so noun declensions Latin nouns are identified by their case number and gender so their case is like the part of speech or the part of the sentence not the part of speech a noun is the part of speech the part of the sentence is the case um gender if you speak any romance language you know that all nouns have a gender and it's just to put the article that matches in front of it like in french whether it's like un or um except in this you don't have articles so like (laughs) and then number whether it's plural or singular okay but these, you just memorize whether they're a masculine or feminine noun, and then you don't have to worry about matching your article, but you do have to just worry about how to declense it based off that. And the different forms of a noun, which are indicated by their endings, are known as cases. The cases, you've got your nominative case, which is your subject, genitive case, which is the what shows possession, your... Um, Dative case, which is indirect object, accusative case, which is direct object, and then ablative, which is your prepositional phrase, and vocative, which is direct address. And vocative is not used very often, but direct address is like, oh, whatever. Like you're directly addressing this thing or this person. It's directly addressing like 
kind of like a lot in like poetry like if you okay. like oh yeah 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 trees <laughs> like that is your vocative case okay and then genitive singular case is the most important case in latin because it's the case that supplies the stem or the base of the noun all other cases except for nominative nom i read these in my head really well and now that i'm trying to say them out loud i'm like what you're doing good it's like it's like when you read something and you're just like yes this is how it's said and then you read it out loud like characters names yeah we're like what did you just say (laughs) like what did you just call them (laughs) my big one was pneumonia i knew what it was and i read it and like then I had to read out loud in class and I went Panomia oh, and everyone no. looked at me and they were like, the fuck? And I was like, <laughs> is that all that's it? That's such a common thing though. Like, it happens <laughs> all the time. So yeah, so all other cases except for the nominative singular case are formed by adding case specific endings to the base. Okay. We'll get to it. I'm just going to read you my charts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you can hear my yeah, I can kind of hear, because it, it's Mochi, right? Cause no, the, it's Celeste. Is it Celeste? She is desperate to get in this basement. Oh, really? Yes, she's obsessed with being down here. <laughs> so she's up there crying at the door, probably tweaking out, trying to get down here. Bless her heart. She's a basement dweller. She is, man. She's like a sewer creature. <laughs> wants to dwell in the darkness down here. Probably sick of Lana and Mochi. <laughs> My animals are, they're all freaks. But it's like, you're... Nominative singular case matches your base word, but mm-hmm. if you don't know your base word, you get it from your genitive singular case because for first declension nouns, because there are five declensions, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but for your first declension nouns, your genitive singular case ends the base word with AE. So if you read that AE, you know to take away the, the AE and put the first declension ending at the end which all first declension nouns end in an a so then you just put the a back on so take away the ae and put the a okay i kind of explain it better when we get to verbs okay (laughs) but yes so nouns fall into predictable patterns there are five of them known as declensions when you list the different cases of a noun you are declining that noun so like i said latin has five declensions and each noun belongs to one of the five declensional patterns so first declension nouns are also called a declension so if you think about it in spanish verb conjugating mm-hmm. um you know how when you conjugate verbs that have an a versus verbs that have an e versus verbs that have an i at their ending mm-hmm. like dormir is i verb conjugation comer is e verb conjugation and so first declension nouns are a declension for like the genitive singular case for stella is uh stella which if you take away the ae then you've got stell and that's your stem or your base and to turn it into a noun since it's an a declension noun you put your a at the end stella and that's your word your whole word okay does that make sense yeah okay so yeah, nouns with the genitive singular ending in AE are known as first declension nouns and are typically, but not always, feminine. Okay. All first declension nouns use the same base in both the nominative plural and genitive singular forms. So the nominative plural for Stella is Stelle, and the genitive singular is Stelle. Okay. Which can like be a little confusing um, because they're the same word. 
But depending on the rest of the sentence, by context, you'll be able to tell if it's the subject of the sentence and is plural or if it's showing possession and is singular. I got you. First declension nouns have A in most of the case endings. I have the letter A in most of the case endings. And if you have a masculine first declension nouns, it's mostly words that were borrowed from Greek like agricola. Agricola is a masculine first declension noun and it has a Greek, it comes from the Greek language. Mm-hmm. And then some more first declension nouns. I'll list the nominative case and the genitive singular case, the gender, the meaning, and the derivative for these words. So like agricola is the subject of the sentence, it's singular, and then agricole is the genitive singular case and it's showing possession. It's a masculine noun, it means farmer and agri- and its derivatives agriculture. Aqua, nominative singular, aqua, genitive singular, and then it's feminine, means water, derivative, aquarium. Would it be better if I just listed the nominative and the genitive than trying to go through all of it and then maybe tell you what it means for I mean I think you're doing fine. Okay. I'm I didn't following. know if, Okay, I didn't know if it was like too much or if it was getting like I mean, a little I'm boring. Kind of guessing the, what they mean, so that's kinda of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to make it like a game? No. No. I feel like it'll just get harder. Those first two were kind of easy. I wouldn't have guessed aquarium, but I would have guessed all water. Yeah. So, yeah. Did did I show you that post? Okay. I need to show... Okay. Time out. I've got to show Brittany this post. It makes me laugh. Like, it makes me almost cry in laughter every single time I see it. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. I might have to put that on the... uh, social media for, uh, for this episode <laughs> you'll have to send me that okay. you can post <laughs> you'll have to listen to this episode because I'll tell you what the French word for water is so that way you understand the post it's love <laughs> it's so great okay anyways <laughs> so casa is the nominative singular case um, and then casse is the genitive singular case it's a feminine noun it means cottage and its derivative is house. Okay. And then you think it's Spanish, mi casa, su casa. Oh, yeah. My house, your house. House would have been my guess. Not yeah. cottage, that's fun. Yeah. Cute. I like that. Yeah, because I guess they don't have a word for house because its derivative is house. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just like. Just everything there is just, they just called everything cottages. Cottage. Love that. Cottage core. <laughs> Latin. Latin is so cottage core. Latin is like. <laughs> Lat- light academia college core. <laughs> Like a dream. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs> Plus the demons. Plus the demons. <laughs> and hashtag this tree speak Latin. So femina is the nominative singular case. Femine is the genitive singular case. And it's feminine and its meaning is woman, derivative, feminine. Puella is the nominative singular case. The genitive singular case is puelle. And the gender is feminine, and that means girl. It doesn't have a derivative, but it okay. means girl. Stella, nominative singular. Stelle, genitive singular. The feminine noun, it means star, and its derivative is stellar or constellation. Nominative singular case, terra. Genitive singular case, uh, terre. Gender, feminine, and its meaning land, earth, and then derivative, terrace slash territory. And then so now we can go through and declints um the noun stella okay um in all of its cases so like i said you've got your nominative case its use is the subject so and its singular is stella 
and its plural is stelle. And so, like, an example of an of it in an English sentence in that part of speech, the star shines brightly. Mm-hmm. The star is the subject of the sentence, so stella or stelle, either the star or the stars shine brightly, subject of the sentence. I don't know why I'm explaining it, like, roundabout, like, people know what parts of speeches are. <laughs> just Whatever's like... easiest for you. I mean, I'm following, like, you're fine. So... Genitive case is that is the use that shows possession. So singular stelle and then plural stellarum. And so like that would be the light of the star is bright. So the subject is the light, Mm -hmm. but the possession is of the star. So that's when you use the genitive case. And then your dative case that is indirect object. It's singular is stelle, same as genitive singular and then its plural is stellis and so that's like indirect object two or four so like the rocket flies to the stars okay your subject is the rocket but the stars is an indirect object because it's two it's going to the stars right accusative that's your direct object singular is stellum plural is stellas um, and that's like, I like the stars. Subject is I, but you're not saying I like to the stars or I, it's a direct object. You are right. directly liking the stars. And then ablative is your prepositional phrase. It's singular is Stella and it's plural is Stellis. And prepositional phrase, um, you've got your preposition, which is from, by, to, over, under, all your prepositions. And then your prepositional phrase is the preposition followed by the object. And that makes up a prepositional phrase. So like an example would be the light came from the stars. Mm-hmm. From is the preposition, the stars, from the stars is the entire prepositional phrase. So that's when you'd use Stella for singular and then Stellis for plural. And you've got your vocative, which is your direct address. Singular is Stella, plural is Stelle, and that's like, oh, stars shine brightly. You're directly addressing the stars. Okay. And yeah. I like that every time you say, oh, you do this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like I get it. Way you I, get, like, I get it. It's just every single time. It's so funny. Like you're in a Shakespearean play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stars. Oh, trees. Oh, Brittany. <laughs> but um, the base or root of Stella or stelle is stel. This is obtained by dropping the genitive singular ending ae, like we talked about stelle, and the other endings can be directly added on. So like if you know that the genitive singular is ae, then you've got the base, which is stel, and every single ending can be added on to the end of stel without having to worry about if you just take away the whole ae. Because like even though a lot of them have an a in the declension, like stellis, does not. So if you just take away the whole AE, every ending, even if it has an A, you can just tack it right on the end. So yeah, so like this chart is true for all first declension nouns. You've got your nominative case. Its singular ending is the letter A. Its plural ending is the letter AE. Your genitive singular case ending is AE. Your genitive plural case ending is ARUM or ARUM. And then dative case, your singular ending is AE. Your plural ending is IS. Accusative case, singular ending AM. Plural ending AS. Ablative case, singular ending A. Plural ending IS. Vocative case, singular ending A. Plural ending AE. And then you can 
follow that chart for any a declension noun you have or first declension noun you have and like i said some endings are the same but like you can tell which case and whether it's singular or plural based on the context okay so that's declensions Yay. and that little star there is just a note to myself to like practice declensions with these nouns from chart one i gotcha so I can get used to declensing nouns and have a, the declension chart memorized. Because I currently don't have it memorized. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so now we get to move on to verb conjugations. Woo! Woohoo! I have not missed these from romance languages. Yeah. Uh, verbs are identified by person, number, tense, voice, and mood. Person, that's your first person. I or we, second person, you, you all, third person, he, she, it, they subject directly without a pronoun number singular or plural tenses you've got your present tense your imperfect tense your future tense perfect tense pluperfect slash past perfect tense and future perfect tense voice active or passive i don't know in your moods are indicative which is concrete it's like a concrete mood um, imperative is giving orders and subjunctive which is hoped for or possible actions. Do you need light? No, I just, oh, look okay. how tiny I wrote it to fit oh, it on yeah. that line. <laughs> I need a magnifying Fair. glass. <laughs> and those are like your three main moods, but there are also other moods that are your infinitive, your participle, your gerund, or your supine are also all moods of verbs. But the three most important moods are indicative, imperative, and subjunctive. And I was go as far as to say is your infinitive is also important people don't use infinitives a lot um especially in these romance languages because you usually always conjugate your verb but your infinitive is still really important to know it's where you get your conjugations from is from the infinitive so latin has four conjugations each verb belongs to one of the four and is in and is conjugated in only one way now there are a few verbs that are, are that are irregular and do not belong to any of the four. But that's just a few. So you've got your first conjugation verbs or a conjugation. Um, so you have your first declension nouns, which is a declension, first conjugation verbs, which is a conjugation, and it's because your second vowel is an a, or at least that's what I was getting from it because it's kind of like I thought about it in like Spanish where each vowel matched the conjugation and you conjugated based off the vowel okay or you base conjugated based off the second vowel yeah so verbs that end in a r e in the present active infinitive are a conjugation verbs so it's got your a in there mm -hmm. your second vowel is an a this infinitive supplies the base onto which the endings for the present active indicated indicative are placed and first conjugation verbs have the letter A in most of the forms. A verb must be the same person and number as its subject, which is just basic grammar. You've got your subject verb agreement. And so like Agricola laborats, the farmer works. That is third person singular. And then Agricole laborant, the farmers work, third person plural. But you've got agricola, which is the noun declension for nomative singular. Mm -hmm. And laborat is third person singular. Okay. So it matches the singular. Yeah. Subject verb agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subject sense. verb agreement. <laughs> People know what subject verb agreement is. Um, 
So, present active indicative tense. Verbs in this tense can be translated in three ways. Simple, progressive, and emphatic. So, simple is just the verb. Progressive is am the verb. Okay. Emphatic is do verb. So, like, simple in English would be I like. Progressive would be I am liking. Emphatic would be I do like. So if you are doing a verb conjugation for present active indicative um, tense, it's assumed that it can mean all three of those things, one way or the other. But it's just written in that one way, but it can be translated either with simple, progressive, or emphatic okay. language. So your present active infinitive is what gives you your verb for your present active indicative. So infinitives are not limited by person or number, which is why the infinitive is what is conjugated to indicate and match the subject. Most present active infinitives end in vowel and re. Okay. So you have your vowel and then followed by an re. So for this one, for first verb conjugation or a conjugations, you have the vowel a followed by an re. So like amare, that means to like. So it's A-R-E. Mm -hmm. So your endings for your present active indicative for first person singular is O. And then for first person plural is mus. For second person singular, it's the letter S. And then for second person plural, it's tis. For third person singular, it's the letter T. And then for third person plural is NT. Okay. So like amare, to like, amo, amas. Amat, amamus, amatis, amat. Then laborare, laboro, laboras, laborat, laboramus, laboratis, laborat. <laughs> Aunt, laudere, which is, oh, well, I guess amare is to like, laborare is to work, laudere is to praise, and then that's laudo, laudas, laudat, laudamus, laudatis, laudant. And then portare, to carry, porto, portas, portat, portamus, portatis, portant. Vocare, to call, voco, vocas, vocat, vocamus, vocatis, vocant. Said with a W, I forgot to do that. I was reading it as a B, but it's a W. Okay. Vocare. Yes, so then voco, vocas, vocat, vocamus, vocatis, vocant. Yes. And that, like I said, that includes the simple, progressive, and emphatic meanings of like Amare, amo, means if you just say amo, which is the first person singular, it's I like, I am liking, I do like. Mm -hmm. um, it means all the same. And then you've got your first irregular verb, and that is esse, which is to be. And that is for first person singular, it's sum. For second person singular, it's est. For third person singular, it's est. For first person plural, it's sumus. Then for second person plural it's estes and then third person plural is sunt and it's fun because there's a little like pattern and it goes sum es est sum es est sunt and you just say it like a little it's very bouncy yeah and that's to like help you memorize it since it doesn't follow a pattern it's a random one you just sum es est sum es est sunt it's like real fun <laughs> well when you were going through them I was like these are kind of fun and now you said I was like I guess they're supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and like when I tell my mom, like when I was telling my mom I was working on Latin, she was like, because she took Latin in high school because she was going to be a nursing major. 
And, like, she's going to go into, like, being an RN and everything. And, like, for medicine and stuff. So, she took Latin to kind of just, like, help her, like, recognize stuff on the medicine bottles. And she doesn't remember anything from Latin except for sum es est, sum es est, sum. <laughs> that's all she remembers. And I'm like, that's how you know it sticks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it would stay with you. That's the point. That's cool that she was taking it in high school. Mm-hmm. But there is the third person, singular and plural, for essay or to be. It has impersonal terms. So est, which is the third person singular, means there is. If it's not referring to a person. Okay. Um, so like, est aqua, there is water. And then sunt, which is third person plural, is there are. So like, sunt naute. And I don't remember what naute means. Sailors. <laughs> are they, sailors. There are sailors. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta know sailors. <laughs> That's why like, some of the vocabulary in this, I'm like, I don't need Always need to know about the sailors. Always need to know about the sailors, I You guess. never know. But yeah, so est and sunt can be used as there is and there are if they're not being a verb directly related to what the subject is doing. We're almost done. <laughs> I only have one full page, sort of full page. I say full page. It's not really a full page. But then like, and then a little bit on the next page. No, you're fine. Okay. So now we're going to introduce adjectives and then the final parts of speech so adverbs and then like how to ask a question so a noun to know that i will be using as an example is uh nata which is it's male it's a masculine noun and it means sailor and its derivative is nautical and then you've got your adjectives bona which is good mala which is bad evil parva which is small magna which is large great romana is roman Pulkra means pretty, beautiful. Mea is my, mine. Tua is your, yours. And those are some adjectives. And then another verb, natare, is swim. And it is conjugated exactly the same way as the other ones are. Adverbs, non is not. Male is badly. Bene is well. And then how to ask a question is ne or ne attached to the end of the first word of a sentence. So, natatne agricola, does the farmer swim? Note, natat is third singular, so the verb does still agree with agricola, which is nominative singular because farmer is the subject, and then natat is the verb, and or if we're talking about a farmer, third person singular, Natat, third person singular conjugation, and then you just add ne at the end. So natatne agricola, your verb and your subject still agree. Okay. And then adjectives. An adjective describes or tells something about a noun. And in Latin, the adjective follows the noun. Whereas in English, the noun follows the adjective. Mm-hmm. So an adjective must be in the same gender and number and have the same case as the noun it modifies which is noun-adjective agreement. I don't know how that works in Latin quite yet. Like, if the adjective isn't... Like, I don't know how to do if the adjective is feminine, but I'm trying to describe a masculine noun, how to make that match. I don't know how to do that yet. I mean, well, that's fair. (laughs) Chapter one, you said. (laughs) Yeah. And then so I'm like... (laughs) But then I'm like, I don't know if maybe I'm just tripping. So, like, I don't know. (laughs) But yes, so like, for example, um, your nominative case, 
Um, let's use casa, which one's cottage. Nominative case, it's singular, it's casa, and then your adjective is magna, casa magna, which is large cottage. Okay. And then case magna is large cottages, but that's still matching your case, like if it's the subject of the sentence. So I'm not going to go through that whole chart, but (laughs) it basically like, you know, your nominative case is if it's the subject of the sentence. And so if the subject of the sentence is casa, which means cottage, um, if that's the subject, it's declined as casa and in its singular. So your adjective is magna, casa magna. And then if your nominative, so if cottage is the subject of the sentence, but there's more than one. So if you have cottages, it's casa magna. So your adjective also ends with an A-E the same way that your noun does if it's the subject of the sentence for your nominative case. Okay. So it just matches whatever ending is on the end of your declense noun is going to be on the end of your adjective. Okay. So I guess like bona would be like casa bona or case bone, I think. is Yeah, that's... I mean, yeah. It's a matching game. <laughs> You just have to make it match. (laughs) Then you're good. And so finally, adverbs. So an adverb tells something about the verb. People, you know, your adjectives and your adverbs. Adjectives modify a noun. Adverbs modify a verb. And usually the adverb follows the verb. But in Latin, it comes before the verb. So in English, an adjective usually comes before the noun and an adverb usually comes after the verb in latin it's switched okay yeah so like agricola non natat the farmer does not swim agricola bene natat the farmer swims well agricola male natat the farmer swims badly okay and that's all i've learned so far (laughs) and that's a good amount because you for teaching yourself and for doing it for how long now a month yeah, it's not that long <laughs> to work full time and teach yourself a language. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel? Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. Hopefully, I didn't. My pronunciation, I'm still kind of trying to get used to. Like I said, it's easier just to learn by listening. And um, there's not many places you can just li- listen to Latin, um, yeah. except for like old hymns. Um, and I would literally rather kill myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> materials you can but listen to. I've been working with this because like you get to cheat. <laughs> you get to cheat. You get to cheat. Look, it tells you right there. Agricola. Aqua. Oh, that's not cheating. Casa. That's how you learn. Femina. It literally tells you. And then it had a whole section on the signs of the zodiac and the planets. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But I already knew all that, so I just left it alone. Yeah. And then if you just want a fun fact, these are some familiar phrases. Okay. <laughs> You've got nota bene, which is note well, and which people use that in like writing to put by something to be like, notice this. <laughs> like, yeah. It's usually marked by an NB, but it's nota bene. And then you've got bona fide, yeah. uh, which means with good faith or honesty. You know, he's bona fide. Right. He's a suitor. Because, oh, brother, are thou? That's where I first learned that word. <laughs> <laughs> And then you've got like malafide, which people don't use a lot. Because I don't know if I know that one. And then like meum et tuum is like mine and thine. And then you've got like aqua, which shows up in 
English all the time, aqua pura, pure water, aqua vitae, water of life, which is alcohol. <laughs> hey. And then aqua fortis, which is just like strong water. And then like aqueous humor, which is the fluid between your cornea and the lens of your eye. Hmm. It's called aqueous humor. Fun. But that's how I'm learning my pronunciation is by reading the little phonetics uh, yeah, following. I think that's fine. <laughs> but then I've got to like practice it a little bit. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's our segments for today. Fun. And I think. Hopefully you learned a little something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think so. On both ends. Yes. I learned something from you. Yeah. And I learned something from you. And from me. When I was researching it. So. <laughs> yeah. So I guess let's do our thing. We're going to spin the wheel. Do you want to tell them about our plans? Because I don't think they've known it. What are our plans? Just tell them that we combined. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Don't tell them how it's written right now, but just tell, <laughs> tell them. Well, I know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, tell them that we changed the wheel up yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we are changing up the wheel. Because right now we have, for in the past, we've had history and ancient be two separate things. And it kind of gave us a little bit of a confusion. And, you know, sometimes we just ended up doing the opposite anyway. So we're just going to combine them into one thing where history is just all of history. And then we're going to replace the other one with just like a our choice so we get to talk about whatever we want for that yeah. week if that's what we decide ready to spin i suppose <laughs> well <laughs> it has been a bit and i feel like every time we've done the topic it almost landed on we've pair we've had alike as yeah. well yeah it, it was bound to happen <laughs> so we got a drink we like which is fun but we also got true crime which can be a little sad a little depresso a little bummer cow a bummer Cow a bummer. That's my TikTok. I have those all over my for you page, literally all the time. This is where I watch my parents die, Raphael. Cow a bummer. So that'll be us. I feel like we are that TikTok, and you're the one that's like, "This is where I watch my parents die, Raphael," and I'm the one who's like, "Cow a bummer." Yeah, when I end my segment next time, that's what you'll say. Cow a bummer. How a bummer. <laughs> no, because it will be a bummer. It we will be me. a bummer, yeah. I always pick the bummer one. Well, mine I'm probably going to... Your arms aren't great either, so... Yeah, well, episode five was horrendous. Bad vibes all around. Yeah. So I guess join us next week for true crime and a, a drink we like. Two so weeks. In two weeks. Yeah. Join so... us in two weeks. The 21st. Alright, so yeah, we'll, we'll still be on kind of our vacation schedule, so come back for True Crime and a drink we like on the 21st, and then probably soon after that one, we might be back on our regular schedule, so. Yeah. Yeah, so look forward to that. Get ready to be bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell us where they can find us? Yes, of course. So you can find our podcast at Sip In Spin Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any thoughts or anything you just want to talk with us about, um, you can email us at sipinspinpod 
pod at gmail.com. And then you can find Brittany at Whimsy Dream or Whimsy Dreams. And then you can find me uh, at GleamYKS on all my social media. But as always, all three of the link trees for the show, for myself and for Brittany, will be down in the description below. And we do have a TikTok now for the show. Oh yeah, we do have a TikTok. Um, yeah, Sip and Spin Pod. Yeah, there's not a lot on it, but uh, that will probably be changing really, really soon. So you should check us being idiots over there. Get ready for some TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I already make too many TikToks that are embarrassing to myself, but it's fine. But I think that about covers it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us while we're trying to take this break. If you're disappointed that we're not having them every Wednesday, we're sorry. But like, we just kind of needed a little break. So hopefully you still are sticking with us and that's okay. You gotta do what you gotta do. And what we gotta do is sip with you next time. Oh, God. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> Bye. Bye.